0: I don't think there are too many topics in the entire scripture from one cover to another that I have more passion for than to talk about the church. And the question is, uh, is your passion bucket full for the church? How much do you love church? And same question would lead to how much, what is your love for Christ? in my view, and I think it's a biblical view, that we can't separate, as a Christian, our love for Christ and our love for the church and the local church. I think the two things are inseparable. We can't say, I love Christ, but my love for the church is waning. or it's not at that level. Because we know Ephesians 5, why did Christ go to the cross? Ultimately, to build the church. And is the only institution that Christ promised to build and the gates of Hades will not come against it. To me, it's the grandest institution on the face of the earth, the greatest institution on the face of the earth. And the, the view, the modern view of the church, uh, it's waning. And his views from the world has completely taken away from the biblical view, what Christ views, what God views the church to be. You know, in 2002, a religious news service began a report, claims by a gentleman named Harold Camping, a co-founder and president of Family Radio Network. Camping claimed that God is no longer blessing and using the local church. In fact, the church age has ended. The institutional church is now under God's curse because of its apostasy. That it should disband all its ministries and it should be seized. That Christians should no longer submit to the authority of the local church and ultimately the obedience to God now requires them to remove themselves from the local churches. He believes that organizations like Family Radio is now the beacon of truth. And you know, I would agree with Mr. Camping to some degree. There are many churches are, be, are apostates or becoming apostates. So in some sense, the, the church that he depicts, there's some truth to that. But I would disagree because I believe in the Word of God and the Christ's promise made to us. The doctrine of the church must be understood. Becoming a Christian in salvation encompasses understanding not only our salvation, our relationship to Christ, but also our relationship to the church. I believe that our ability to please God, our Lord, depends upon our view of the church, or the proper view, biblical view of the church. The doctrine of the church, in essence, is everything. It must be grounded in Scripture. It is to be grounded in the doctrine of the covenant of grace, in the believer's union with Christ, and believer's union with one another as body of Christ, to Christ. You know, I feel very sad. It saddens me to hear Christians are not happy or disenchanted with the local church they intend, attend. and makes me more appreciative of Cornerstone and church I attend because I have different passion in my life for, for the local church and Cornerstone. You know, I'm, what I'm about to teach is probably nothing new to you. Simply, ecclesiology is a doctrine of the church, and this is most important to us. And my goal this morning, in considering the church, particularly this local body, is one, that we all be thankful for the church, thankful for Cornerstone. Two, that we would be able to renew our hearts toward the church. And three, that our vigor, that we would have a new vigor new passion, and love for the church. You know, a recent survey showed that 47% of American Christians believe that church attendance is not required. About half. In his book, Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, Don Whitney calls this a dangerous and deceptive thought. You the church has become like a department store where you come And get whatever spiritual commodity you want and leave out what you don't want, then go about your way. So it's becoming personalized or privatization of Christianity or spiritual life. And many church and it's not to the fault of the individuals, but many churches promote this same thought, this consumeristic activity. They foster that and allows this individual views of individual Christianity to, to prosper. George Barna said that this consumer demand will intensify in the shape of the church of the future. Increasingly, people will demand personalized religious systems that will satisfy their needs without requiring any sacrifices or commitments. The churches are becoming nothing more than entertainment centers, employing marketing devices, there's effective ways to draw people. So if we fill the seats, that's the aim. And Mildred Erickson calls this modern-day thought, the inverted theology, where people come to have their needs met in the church. And started, instead of regarding our God as our Lord, as His glory to be the supreme value, our aim, to be accomplished within the church, we expect Him to be Our servants. He is expected to meet all our perceived needs. You know this isn't anything new. It's not just modern day. This has been happening. Some of you already know. Uh, Charles Spurgeon mentioned this hundred years ago when he saw the downgrade, and his theory was a downgrade controversy. The churches were motivated by compromise. They were motivated by the trends, sophisticated trends of the culture. And he saw this coming. And it's happening now. And the core issue is people, number one, the leaders of the churches have lack of understanding, lack of conviction of Christ's church, what he died for on the cross. Then, It translates into the people. People have wrong understanding. The core values are not set right. And people have, and the churches have, and including the leaders, don't consider the church as a bride of Christ, the love for Christ himself, and lack of love for people and other saints, or all of the above. So we ask ourselves this morning, what is our view of the church? Or do you cherish your church? Do you love the church? You know, my prayer is that our church, the leaders and the members who come here will not fall into the spiritual malaise of being downgraded, downgrading the church into the modern world. And I love what Joshua Harris said in his book, it says, are you married to the church, or are you church daters? You come to church looking for some type of fulfillment. Or are you there, committed to Christ, wanting nothing, having no agenda of your own, and wanting to serve Christ, and loving its people? So we fight this, to, to fight this modern-day consumer mentality, We need to understand what it costs God to build the church. and We need to have people with passion for the church. And we also should demand, the leaders and the members should demand passion for the church from one another. That should be our expectation. We should be able to look each other in the eyes. In our one-to-one meetings with your flock shepherds, the shepherds should ask you and one another when you get together. Where is your passion for the church? But I love this dialogue, the Q and A. My favorite Q and A dialogue in the entire Bible is Matthew 16, when Christ comes to the disciples and asks the question. Now read from chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, "Who do you say that the Son of Man is?" And they answered him. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, you are the blessed Simon, son of Barjona, because the flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, that I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You know, that's the first question we should ask in the church. is First, we need to see our relationship to Christ and to the church. Because that's a, that is the most important relationship, Christ and the church and its people. And I love Peter's answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ reply was that God, my Father revealed this to you and I will build my church. God will build, Christ will build this church. Isn't that the leaders? You know, that reminds me of the movie Feel the Dreams. I love all baseball movies just about, right? And then there's that voice in the cornfields of Iowa saying, if you build it, they will come. No, we take that little bit around. You know, if we're faithful, if we love the church, Christ will build it. Be faithful, and Christ will build it. Christ is the cornerstone. You know, once, when we first decided to plant Cornerstone, all we wanted to be, one of, first of all, all we wanted to do was just be faithful to God's word, preach God's word, be faithful. Many people try to um, talk us out of doing this. Many men. But we were ignorant enough to do it and ignorant enough to have faith in the scriptures. Because it's far too great of a responsibility to build our church by ourselves. It's far too great of a responsibility. It's an impossible task. So we don't have pressures. You know, when you're in business by yourself, some of you run business, some of you key role, have key roles in your companies that you work for, you have to come up with things. You have to make things work, and you have to have ways to make it, that you would conclude in results. Things are measured. We don't have to do that. We're not worried about filling seats. We don't have to be worried about numbers. We don't have to come up with marketing programs. We have to be faithful to the Scriptures. The, 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 this is the greatest business plan there is. All we have to do is be faithful to that. And that takes a lot of pressure off because we don't have to build it. Christ builds it. We have to preach the Word. In Ephesians one twenty-two, Paul says, that God, having raised Christ from the dead, will have rule, I don't know, authority, that he will put all thing, the things under his feet and made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, and fullness of him will fill all in all. And 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 says, It was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down from to you, to your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ. In Ephesians 5, 25, Christ died for the church. You know, I I belong to this executive group. We had a speaker one day. There's 16 of us um, who hold you know, chief positions in various companies. You know, they say, the question was, what is your number? And I didn't know what that meant. He said, what is your number? What is your number for you to retire and do what you want to do? Some people said, you know, million, $20 million, whatever it may be. Various various things came up. I had no idea. I never thought of this. And they said, if you had that now, what would you do? And to each person, to each person, no one would be doing what they're doing today. They all have different. One gal said, she'll open up a bed and breakfast in French Riviera or something. And... uh, It got around to me and it's just my gut reaction. What, what would I do? I said, I would do church. Well, I would do church. What is it? I would find a way to serve in the church somewhere if I don't have to worry about money or feeding my kids or anything like that. I would do church. And I would talk to James, maybe have, you know, other pastors and elders send me somewhere. I would, I would do something like that. That would be the most fulfilling thing. And afterwards I was, we were having dinner. And one of the guys came up and said, Bob, why don't you do that now? Why don't you, this is by far, I've never seen you passionate about anything like this. You would truly be happy doing this. And he was right. Why don't you do that now? Why don't you create a plan for yourself to do this? And he was right. I talked to my wife. I hope to do that sometime soon. But again, my life is not my life. right? I don't come in, James, I want to do this. You know, ordain me to do this. I'm an ordained elder, but no, I come to the church. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't have a personal agenda. And whatever future holds for me and my ministry in the church, God will unfold that. I submit to the elders and the leaders of this church and not being self-willed. That's what I love about the church. There's no I in church, right? That's kind of cheesy, but there's no I in church. Right? Because Christ died for it. It's not my church. Christ died for it. Right? Again, this is the only institution Christ promised to build. Only institution that he promised to bless. And you are part of that. We are part of that. To me, that's the greatest privilege. And to see it grow and see members grow, we want nothing more. I don't get my soul stirred at my work or doing other things in life. When I come to church, my heart is stirred at times to the core. It shakes me. It grips me. Now, I love the church because I like to think that because Christ loved the church. He shed his blood for it. And I love what Spurgeon called the local church as the dearest place on earth to him, and it is true to all Christians. We should see the church this morning as you sit at this moment. You know, I remember I went to an Angel Game when I was really young, first time at a baseball game. I've only watched baseball from from on TV. I sat at Angel Game on second deck between first base and home plate, first row. On the view level, I pinched myself. I guess I'm actually at a major league ball game. Right? I'm actually at a major I had to pinch myself. It was grand. And when we come to church on Sundays, we should feel like that. That this is, this is grand. It's a great place to be. So I want to talk about the rest of the time this morning. Five reasons why you should love church. Love the local church. Five reasons, same thing, why you should love CBC. And no other institution was entrusted to this. Number one, as I said it before, because it is the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. You know, men, and again, second cheesy point. Allow me to get a lot cheesy. Men, remember back on your wedding day, Remember back on your wedding day. You know when it begins. Some of you, James was there. Marcus was there. You stand in front of the congregation. You feel awkward. You stand there. Everybody's looking at you in your funny penguin suit. Then people come in. And then you see your bride come in. No one could say you had a bad feeling at that time, right? No man. No man. That's a moment you're waiting for, and you see your beautiful bride. You see your beautiful bride walking down the aisle with her father. That's a grand moment, right? That's Christ's view of the church. He stands there and looks at the church, and you see bride walking. That's us. That's us. That Ephesians 5 text reveals to us, that's us. Right? What does bride of Christ mean? And what does it mean to be the bride of Christ? No, we became bride of Christ because Christ gave Himself for the church. Now, for us, we 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 saw our wife as being beautiful, but when we came to Christ before salvation, there was no beauty in us. It was just God's sovereign choice. There was nothing good in us. It was His electing choice before the foundation of the world that He decided to regenerate us and love us and raise us to this life. When we were dead in our trespasses and sin, He gave His self-sacrificing love for us. When we were helpless, sinful, and ungodly, we were His enemy. We married... Hopefully none of us married a reluctant woman, right? None of us did, right? But Christ married a reluctant woman and he stands there and sees us as a bride of his bride and sees us as being beautiful. He married an unworthy woman, a dead woman. He married a corpse. And he found us beautiful. And it's not even. Us. He's making us beautiful. He's doing all the work. That's why church is special. He's doing the saving. He's doing the cleansing. He's doing the sanctifying, the beautifying. Nothing attractive about us. We were repulsive, if anything, but He intended making us His bride. This is what you call the free and un- unconditional election of Christ, His love. It was not because we, we had any beauty of our own. We were not chosen because He could see us holy. He made us holy. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God being rich in mercy because he's, because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. Again, he chose a dead woman. God chose a dead woman to marry his son. So to love the church is to love what Christ loves what he finds beauty, what he finds precious, what he finds to be passionate. And John Stott wrote, On earth she is often in rags and tatters, stained and ugly, despised and persecuted, but one day she'll be seen as what she is, nothing less than the bride of Christ, free from spots, wrinkles or any other disfigurement, holy without blemish, beautiful and glorious, And it is to this constructive end that Christ has been working and is continuing to work. The bride does not make herself presentable. It is the bridegroom who labors to beautify her in order to present her to himself. That's a beautiful expression. Secondly, another reason to love local church. You get to worship, like today, like right now. It's an earthly expression of heaven. Church is the earthly expression of heaven. Isn't worship the purpose of redemption? God desires to make worshipers of Himself. In Matthew six says you Christ instructed us to play, Your will be done on earth as in this heaven, in heaven. Where is heaven? Not in Iowa. Right? Right here. Right now. In every biblical description of heaven there's one thing that stands out is always worship, praise, adoration, devotion to our God. That's why in Isaiah six, Prophet Isaiah wrote, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, seraphim stood above him, and each having six wings, and two covered his face, and two covered his feet, and the two he flew, and then others called out, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Church is an earthly expression of heaven. This is the highlight for us. Should be the highlight for us. Sunday meetings aren't designed, I would say this, not for anything else, not even equipping of the saints. It is designed for the worship God. There's a lot of talk about, as I said before, user-friendly churches. Church growth experts have programs to make the unchurched people feel comfortable in the church. To me, that's an anti-heaven approach, anti-worship approach. We shouldn't have unchurched people coming to our church and leaving saying, wow, that was comfortable, that felt good, that was familiar. I think that's something seriously wrong with that church. I think a true biblical church, in that setting, the unchurched people should feel a little bit uncomfortable. But to me, heaven is one of the most restricted places on earth. It doesn't accept everybody. It's as fact of the matter. Right? It's a very restricted place. It's clear cut. Only certain people get in. Right? And church should have, be a glimpse of that for their own benefit. For the sake of Christ and glory of God. Number three, that third reason to love the church is the Word of God. It's where the Scriptures, scripture is taught, the church glorifies God by upholding His Word. Church enables you to hear the preaching and proclaiming of the truth, and church is the pillar and the ground for truth. First Timothy three fifteen, Paul wrote, and, and Second Timothy four twenty two. Preach the Word. The pastors, elders, other shepherds will teach you the truth. Truth about God's Word, truth about God, and truth about life and ourselves. God has placed gifted people, gifted teachers to teach you. God has ordained preaching. God has instructed pastors and elders to preach the Word. Therefore, its members, the command to you is listen to the Word. Hear the Word. Preaching is always relevant. You know, I have, I've seen James and Marcus preach all the way across the world in different languages. And I see people coming up to them, Christians in other parts of the world, after hearing the Word of God, coming coming to them and thanking them. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen because they're Christians. They hear the Word and their hearts are stirred. We get to come to church and have our hearts stirred every week because it's God's God-ordained method of spreading His Word. It supersedes any other form of communication, entertainment, other schemes, PowerPoint presentations, to communicate God's truth. Our conviction is that we will honor God by honoring His Word making that premium. It's not because I stand here today, but the most precious real estate in the church is this by four by four square foot where a preacher stands and delivers God's word. Authority of the church, authority of its leaders comes from the word of God as well. It's not based upon age, economic status, their ability to do other things, but it's given through the word of God to the church. The word of God will convict. word of God is truly the lamp and light to our feet. That's why the leaders are exhorted by Paul in Second Timothy 4. Preach the word and be ready in season and out of season to reprove and to rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. It's not to make people feel good about themselves. Because for us as leaders, preach those who preach the word, because the word of God is truly inspired by him. And I appreciate when people come up here and give testimonies. They say they love the preaching. They love the word of God because it's taught here. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Listening attentively to the Word of God because it is the highest form of worship. You know, and when you choose a church, maybe some of you here are looking for a church, preaching the Word of God should be the primary criterion in you choosing a church. Therefore, I think you should all continue to pray for the elders and pastors who preach and teach and shepherds. Lead the flock to the word of God. You know, it is a daunting task to preach each week, but to me, it's one of the greatest privileges in life. You know, when I was young, and I still do, when I go and play an important game, I remember, you know, there's like nervousness in my stomach, my stomach goes in knots, and there's like excitement to build. You know when I was standing here, I couldn't wait till they all got done. I think he went on a little too long because it was filled with excitement. I want to get in the game. I want to get in the game. I have that same feeling before I preach. I think that's the heart of all the preachers who come up here. a daunting task, but we would do nothing else. Fourth reason to love the church: it's its leaders, shepherds, leaders you could follow. First Timothy three two. The overseer must be above a reproach, husband of one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And in John 21, you saw as Peter is restored, what did Jesus say three times? Do you love me? Then what did he say? Feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. You know, this office, again, it's a daunting task, an office of an elder pastor. It's beyond me, you know, you know, I, I tried, one of the goals in my life, I, someone told me, he said, don't take yourself seriously. And it's true. Now, if you know what kind of sinner I am, what, what, what kind of person I am, a cornerstone gives me, and I think the leaders, too much honor. You know, if you know who we are, it's like, you know, it's kind of a joke, you know? But I try not to take myself too seriously. I don't know how people even ordain me. I had to pinch myself, and I don't know if that ever really happened. It's just a memory in my, you know, James would agree with me, you know. You know, I'll tell you funny insight into our things. James and I usually go to staff retreat. This is how, you know, regular guys we are. There's two things we usually do during it's basketball season, always during staff retreat. We always talk about the Lakers before we talk about anybody in the church <laughs> for at least a couple hours. Or if there's a Laker game on our like last year, we watch the Laker game. We can't start a meeting when there's a Laker game going on, right? And James and I love watching movies, so we go to the latest show. We meet, and we go to the latest show, and we come back about 2, 2 a.m. and start the meeting again and go fast as we can. And I've watched one of the worst movies in my life with James, too. It's like, I don't know why that happens. But this is to show you, to share with you just the feeling of inadequacy that we're not all that or anything anything of that. We're regular guys that God has just given us grace to do God's work. All right, there's nothing special. We're not important, but the work is important. The work is serious. That's serious business. Having high view of God, high view of God's word, preaching it, and holding up high view of the church is important business. It's a serious calling, it's a high calling, and few are called to this office. And there are stringent restrictions and requirements for the qualifications of an elder. Even men like Bill Clinton, former President of the United States, even one of the greatest basketball players, Kobe Bryant, or even kings like David or Solomon they may be kings of nations presidents of countries but they are not qualified to be an elder in the church that's god's view and samuel Brangle once said church leadership is not won by promotion but by many prayers and tears it is attained by the confessions of sin and met much heart searching and humbling before god by self surrender and courageous sacrifice of every idol with bold, deathless, uncompromising, and uncomplaining embracing of the cross, and by an eternal, unfaltering look at, unto Jesus crucified. You know, 1 Timothy 3.1 talks about if a man aspires to the office of an overseer, the word is literally translated as being lust. You need to have desire to serve, not for the office, but for the work. Not for the title, but the work itself. Are you willing to work? Do you lust after the work? And all the qualifications are character qualifications not based upon ability except one ability to teach. They're all character, moral qualifications. Again, I consider it the greatest honor to be an elder. And I get to do what I love to do at a place I love and with people I love. And to me, you know, one of the things, I, I put this on my resume. In one interview I went two years ago, about ten years ago, he said, you're an elder. That's the first thing he asked me. Oh, said, yes. He said, you know, that's something special. He was not even a believer. He said, that's something special because most of the time in positions in secular organizations, he said, people have to follow you because they're paid to follow you. But an elder at a church, people don't have to follow you. They can leave whenever they want. You know? And that's one of the proudest things on my resume. Proudest accomplishments, if anything, God allowed me to do. I usually put that in bold. But I'd rather talk about that. If you want to ask me about an eldership, I would go on all day long if you want to talk about it. Truly, that's my heart. And lastly, final reason to love the church and its people, believers, fellowship, because church is a key instrument of sanctification of believers through, believers, through maturity, the sanctification process together. J.I. Packer wrote, as, a value, as we value the health of our own souls and of Christian church, then we must learn to prize fellowship. A Scottish pastor, Roberts, wrote, fellowship between Christians is a gift of God, is a true means of grace. Christians are spiritual people, and they feel comparatively isolated in this world. But God gives us this compensation, that fellowship, they enjoy, with like-minded, brother and sisters. The word fellowship, kononia, has an idea of participation, partnership, communion, sharing, And fellowship is a result of the gospel by God's design. It's by His plan that believers come together for fellowship. There's a uniqueness about Christian fellowship that cannot be found anywhere else, any other relationships. It's unique because commonness comes through Christ. You know, it really does. There are people that that God brings us together that we will never think of that we would carry on relationships. And if Joe is not here, I'll talk about him. Okay? Joe Jung, I, mean, I love Joe. Okay? Joe Jung and I, that's me, that's me, would never hang out together if it wasn't for Christ. Right? <laughs> There's no way. Right? But after him coming to Christ, you know, and especially the last two, three, four years, you know, Joe has become an example in my life. i look to him sometimes for inspiration you know when we asked him to go to check he wanted to go he said what a privilege i can't believe you're asking me to go that's a great heart for the lord you know there are a few guys that i would want if i was in a battle in the foxhole that's joe john use him as a shield you know (laughs) Not in my notes, that was just something that came up on me. <laughs> That's Joe Jung. He's, he's, man is very courageous. Man is very courageous. And it brings relationships like that, people that you would never think, they come in your life because of Christ, and they inspire you. Right? That's, those are relationships. Sanctification involves commitment to one another. John thirteen thirty four, love one another. Romans twelve five, be devoted to one another. Romans twelve ten, honor one another. Galatians five thirteen, serve one another, carry one another's burdens. Galatians six two, Ephesians four thirty two, forgive one another. First Thessalonians five eleven, encourage one another. First Peter four, not offer hospitality to one another. James five sixteen, pray for one another. How are you going to do these things by yourself? Who's going to baptize you? You're going to baptize yourself and go swimming or something? No. <laughs> Baptism happens in the context of the church in missions. We don't have our own agenda for missions. We went to a North Korea conference one time. We saw a sister from another church, a pastor we know. And we know that pastor has no agenda for uh, no programs for the North, North Korea. We were just interested. And she said, you know, my pastor is has his own agenda and I have all my own. That's completely not biblical. I don't say I want to go somewhere. It's within the context of the church even missions happen. The church sends missionaries, not individuals. Elders sends missionaries. Okay. Alan Stibb wrote in his book, God's Church, any idea of enjoying salvation or being a Christian in isolation is foreign to the New Testament. Again, you know when we come to the Lord, we come to the Lord with our own sins, that we are, we have salvation alone, but once we 're saved, we are sanctified together. again, this is more the privatization of spirituality that people get involved in, neglecting fellowship, church is a community, Christians living and sharing experience, spurring each other on, each other, each other on, encouraging. Edifying, building up. Is Jesus not Jesus and I, but Jesus and us? Church is not a spectator sport. Everyone must participate and serve. Everyone has God has gifted everyone individually differently. are all. We're all called to ministry. Now, if we're a church, you're a church leader pastors, elders, shepherds. Hope you embrace your duty, equip people for ministry, equipping the saints. If you're a lay person, that you find your place using your gifts, whatever God has gifted you, to minister in the church. Joshua Harris also said, serving is the fastest way to feel a sense of ownership in your church. You're going to love the church. One of the greatest ways to love the church is to serve, serve others formally and informally, showing hospitality to one another. Serving and devoting to the church is a... Your devotion to the church in itself proves to the non-believing world. It will prove to the non-believing world that there is something uniqueness about the relationship these people hold with one another. To the degree that that those relationships are fractured... It diminishes our platform of the gospel. That people in the church, because God loved them, to die for them, that they're worth sacrificing for and they're worth loving. That we're communicating to the world that God is worth it, the church is worth it, and people within are worth it. That's why we labor. Because ultimately, in Mark 10:45, the Bible teaches us that Christ was servant. It's one of the greatest expressions of love showing our love toward toward God. Just a few final thoughts. Actually, I have more than a few. Now we, a father cannot say. I love my family, but he doesn't spend enough time with them. But spending time with them shows that he loves them. So when we love Christ, when we love the church, we need to be able to spend time and serve one another. We need to hold on to the promise of Matthew 16, that Christ said, I will build my church, and is the institution that he's building. The gates of Hades will not come against it. And I believe this, I thought, is that I don't think Christian could be truly salty without truly loving the church and our burden by the church. Our saltiness, the same degree of our saltiness, comes through loving the church and its people and its leaders. You know, I said this, I taught this portion loving the church, having passion for the church for those of you who weren't at the men's retreat, I'll share some of this with you. You know, look closely at Cornerstone first. For me personally, it gave me the milk of the word, gave me strong teaching, faithful teaching. It's given me faithful friends and being able to fellowship with you all. It has allowed me to short, serve on short-term missions with some of you and been encouraged by many of you, the leaders, pastors, and shepherds, and the saints. Some of you don't know, but most, many of you know I had heart surgery six years ago. I had heart surgery, post-surgery. I had a tube down. My, I couldn't breathe on my own. And there was a brother named Pedro. He's a doctor. He came in to check and my wife was there. He said, all oh, the vital signs look good. He's going to be okay. And he brought a picture with him with cornerstone, one of the retreat pictures and told me and my wife, I could barely like, you know, look at him. And I was like half, I was on morphine. So you couldn't imagine I was like coming and going, but I remember him saying and being encouraged, half conscious, saying that all oh, these people are praying for you in the hospital bed on morphine I was encouraged right that's how strong the fellowship is you know me including the elders and pastors and shepherds we have many weaknesses but God uses us to uses people like us to serve the church Now I love everything about this church I love the leaders whom I serve with Amazing guys. You know, we're building, we're doing the Laying the Foundation program. We've been working on months with Gary and Huey very closely. These guys stretch themselves to the max. Gary runs a company. Friday night we had a meeting. He coached his son's baseball playoff game. He came all dark, you know, with clay and all over him. I don't know if he took a shower or not, but he came. It's all good, you know. And I can't think of a harder-working person at Cornerstone than Huey. Right? They give themselves. He's everywhere. He's Flash Gordon of Cornerstone. He's just everywhere. (laughs) Huey, do you have to be everywhere? You know, let him be. Right? These guys give of themselves. I love the servants. I love people who have snacks for us every week. Right? Amen. You know. There's there's people who genuinely love the church and they inspire me on to do the same. And I truly believe that God created for me to serve at Cornerstone. And I love older saints at Cornerstone. Right? If you think about age, they shouldn't be here. But they have other important things they prioritize beyond age or ethnicity. They come here and worship God together, humbling themselves. I thank God for them. You know, I get to do what I love to do. Is to serve the church. And I always tell myself that I need to love the church. I need to always send a bar for this so the church could follow. And it's a privilege to serve. You know, I owe much, much to the church. All my character, everything I am today has come through the church. And I owe much to the Cornerstone and a lot of you. Now therefore, in my opinion, it is really sad. You're not living a full Christian life. You're missing out on life as a Christian if you don't love the local church. Because Christian life is about commitment. First to Christ, to the Lord, to our family, to our church, and the fellowship we have. Serving Christ and His church requires sacrifice, time, energy, Everything. Then I asked the men to be disciplined to have that love for the church. Have that love for the church. Is that You know, I shared this at FOF, I shared this at the men's retreat. And I hope I make it through this. Is that, you know, as parents, I want my kids, my four kids, to be better than me. I want them to be far better than me. It's not that hard, right? To be better than me, I think all parents want that, right? We all want them to be better than better better than us. So when we go to heaven, you know, we'll be in line to meet our Lord. This would be our ultimate goal. He said, "We'll be in line." And James and I'll be standing there. They will see cornerstone members in front of the line, before us, going to the Lord. we have done our job. I will find the greatest gratification in knowing that I help people become faithful and love the Lord and Christ commanding them. And well then, my good and faithful servant, not to me, to you, that I was able to be their elder and their servant. That's the greatest goal. And that's the heart of the elders. That's how we want to serve. You know, I've made many mistakes in life. But starting Cornerstone and being its leader is not one of them. It's not one of them. I thank God for this privilege. Not because I'm a leader, but we're at a I'm at a good church. I'm at a church as a Christian. That church I could love. I've been in love with my wife for twenty years almost. Next week is actually the ramble day, right? <laughs> May twenty fifth. But since Cornerstone started, you know, I truly loved it's about every moment of what I do. And I hope, for it's all of us, whatever we do at Cornerstone, as long as as you're a member here, until God takes you away from this place, that you would love this place, love this people, love its leaders, and pour yourself out, because Christ died for the church. Christ died so that you could build this. That you would find it precious in your heart. To hold this church cornerstone dear to you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for this church. We thank you for sacrificing your son. So we would have something worthwhile in our life to pursue after. Lord, we know the promises that you have made to us and to this church. Help us to be faithful. Help us to go against the trend of this world and stand in the gap and be different as men and women set apart to do your will. That we would love the church and may that be an example. May that be a testimony of what Christians truly do. We thank you for Cornerstone, how you have loved her for the last nine years. We thank you for our dear leaders and dear members that we know that church is not a building and piece a tangible thing, but it's people and our Lord in it. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for our Lord, who is the chief cornerstone. Let's continue to build our church. May you build it, and you would receive all glory. In Jesus' name, amen.